How many people have experienced the faithfulness of God in your life this week? That's good. Four of you. Anybody else experienced the faithfulness of God in your week? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 14 today, and I'm going to talk to you from this, from this topic in the middle. In the middle. Matthew chapter 14. I'm reading from the New King James. Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now let me just back up before I read this and tell you what has just happened. Excuse me. Jesus has just previously gone into a boat to get away from the crowd. Then he arrives to the crowd, and this is where he says, what do you have here to eat? Because the people were getting restless, and they're out in this wilderness place, and, and the disciples come and say, the people are getting crazy, man. They're hungry. They're not eating. You know how people, they're like church people. If they haven't eaten in a while, it gets ugly. I, I was, my dad used to say, the only thing, you know, my dad grew up uh, in the Baptist church, and I, I, love the Bap- I love the Baptist church. In fact, I love all churches. Anything that represents him, I'm all for it. But he used to say, the only thing that was legal in the Baptist church was eating. But everything else was sin. Uh, but if you, church people don't get to eat for a while, they begin to show themselves. And so these weren't necessarily church people, but Peter and the boys came to Jesus and said, hey, these people are getting hungry. And we got to do something quick. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? I like Jesus' response. Well, what do you have to feed them? And some boy had a couple of loaves and fishes and said, look, I've got, I've got a, couple of, of, uh, a couple of fishes and some loaves of bread, five loaves of bread. Uh, you can have that. And Jesus said, Let, uh, that'll work. Make them sit down. And they're in a desert place, but the Bible says when they sat down, they sat down on green grass. This is not what I want to preach today, but it's amazing. If you go read the scripture, when they come, they're in a wilderness, in a desert place. But when Jesus speaks, his breath and his words alone says, sit down, they sit down on green grass. And he takes and he, he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, he gives the bread, you know, the, the order of breaking bread. And he takes the fish and says, now disciples, you go distribute. And so they distribute. And out of those few fishes and loaves, they feed 5,000 men besides women and children. So, you know, if they were buttons, there's like 75,000 of them. But if, they, if you got just one, one woman and one kid per, that's like 15,000 people that ate off a couple loaves of bread. And the Bible says that at the end, the, the disciples went and picked up 12 fragments. 12, Jesus said these words, now go gather up the fragments that remain. Aren't you glad that Jesus don't even leave the fragmented parts of your life without having use for it? And the boy was blessed. So they, and so this is what has just happened. And Jesus said, now go get in the boat to the other side. I'll see you when I get there. To Gennesaret. And they're like, okay, cool deal. So that, that is the background for what has just happened. They just watched him miraculously take a few fishes and loaves and feed 70,000 buttons, as it were. And so immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up in the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. He was alone there, but the boat now... In the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Go get my message, the wind was contrary. I'm going to touch on a little bit of that today, but that ain't the crux of the message. For the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, This is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, I love it, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, Come. 
And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said unto him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Now I want to read the, the, there, th- this story of Jesus walking on the water. is carried in Matthew, Mark, not Luke, but in John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke was not a disciple of Jesus's. Luke became a disciple later under the teaching of Paul. He did write the book of Luke, and in fact, he wrote the book of Acts. But he's not one of the disciples, so he wasn't there to see this. But Mark says it this way. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And he was alone on the land. They were in the middle of the sea And Jesus is alone on the land. Then he saw them. I could preach right there. Believe me, I could preach a couple hours on this. You know I can take two words and make a whole message. Anybody remember but God? And he saw them. They're in the middle on the sea. The winds are contrary. And he's on the land alone. But he saw them. Straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. The wind was contrary. The wind, actually, the the word here is antagonistic. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. It wasn't just contrary. It wasn't just blowing in the opposite direction. It was antagonistic. And when he had sent, I'm sorry, it was antagonistic. Then he saw them straining. And so about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. That's why I wanted to read this version. It says he came walking towards them on the sea, but he was going to pass them by. He wasn't coming to get in the boat with them. He was going to walk all the way to the other side where he had told them to go. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Or literally what he said is, I am. These are the words that he said. Be of good cheer, don't be afraid, I am. And he was identifying himself as the same I am that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And spoke to Moses when Moses said, when I go to Pharaoh and to tell him to release your people and, and to and relieve them from slavery, who am I even going to say is the one that sent me? And the Lord spoke from the fire and said, you tell him I am because I am that I am. You tell him I am has sent you. Jesus is on the water and the disciples are looking at him, but they don't recognize him because he's in a form that they have not yet seen. And it's and it's dark and the waves are boisterous these are professional fishermen some of them and they're rowing contrary they're rowing that way and the wind is blowing the same way they can't get they're blowing opposite 
And they look out and they see this ghost and they're terrified, Christina, because they don't know who he is. He's not in the form that they recognize. How many times has God come to us in our lives and because he came in a form that we didn't recognize, we missed what God was trying to show us or tell us or help us see? But he does this, but he speaks to them. Sometimes you can't see him, but Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and another's, they will not follow. So when we hear his voice, they knew immediately, that's the same voice that said to me, Peter, you're a rock. That's the same voice that looked at a little girl who was 12 years old and had died and said to her, Talitakumi, which is to say, little girl, arise. That's the same, my God, that's the same voice that walked into the city of Nain when they were carrying a boy out on a coffin and his mother was crying because she was a widow and Jesus grabs a hold of the coffin and immediately the soldier stopped and Jesus said get up little boy and he raises up we know the voice we don't know what he looks like and that's not how we've seen him before but when he speaks that ain't my message that's just something that catches me that they didn't know what he looked like and they didn't recognize the way he looked but you cannot mistake that voice it is I It is I. Now when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost. And in fact, it was a ghost. They were seeing the Holy Ghost right in front of them. Uh, And he cried out, or they cried out that they saw him, but didn't recognize him and were troubled. But he says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the reading of your word. Thank you for the written word, and now we thank you for the preceding word that comes from the throne. Because Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Anytime you see his mouth, you can guarantee there's a word coming out of it. In the middle... In the middle, that's what I want to talk about just for the next 25 or 30 minutes or so. That's where it seems that in our Christian walk, we spend a lot of our time. Not everyone who calls themselves Christians live here, but those who have heard the calling of the Lord to a higher purpose. Those who have felt the the tug for a deeper walk to live in this realm, the life of faith, this story of Peter, which is, by the way, not just a story, but an eyewitness account given in Matthew, Mark, and John, gives us insight into what ultimately we could use in 2020 as our walk of faith. The disciples had just witnessed Jesus feed thousands, in fact, probably tens of thousands with fish and loaves and commanded them to go to the other side. Now, that should have been enough. If Jesus says, get in the boat, I'll meet you on the other side, they should have known by his words alone. Let the winds come and let the storms come. If he says, I'm getting to the other side, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what storms may come. It doesn't matter what winds are contrary. He said, I'm going to see you over there. His word is enough to get me to the other side. But it wasn't enough because their hearts were hardened. And Jesus tells him to cross the lake. He would meet him on the other side. While he was praying, a wind from the west rose. Blowing across the lake. Picture, if, if you would, with me the scene. Disciples in the boat trying to cross the lake at his word. And at that time, a storm arose. Their boat was, at verse 24, it says, tossed 
by the waves. The word tossed means to be pitched about with great force. Blown this way and blown that way. I'm trying to get from A to B, but I can't get to B because I'm rowing with all of my might. And I'm working as hard as I can work. And this storm has arisen. I'm here in the middle. I'm not quite where I was. And I'm not quite where I'm supposed to be. I'm stuck right here in the middle. And I'm trying to get where I want to go. And it feels like I'm taking two step or one step forward and two steps back. And every time I row, the wind hits me on this side. And every time I get a couple more inches down the sea, the wind hits me from this side. And it seems like life has become a storm that is tossing me to and fro. This is the picture. The winds hit them with such violence that their lives were in danger. Remember, these are professional fishermen. They, this was not their first time on this lake. This is not their first time on this, this eight-mile trip from one side to the other side. Essentially, it was about eight miles. It doesn't seem like a lot, but get out in the middle, right in the middle. And at this time in the fourth watch, they had essentially gone 3.75 miles. So they're literally in the middle of this water, and they can't get to where they know they're supposed to go. The winds were contrary. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes in life? God's given you a word. Or he's given you an assignment. Or he's given you a promise. Or he's given you a prophetic utterance. Or you've heard something deep within your spirit and you knew that it was him because my sheep know my voice. Or you received a promise or a word when you were a child. And you're trying to walk out this word. Or you're trying to walk out this promise and everything that seems to be able to go wrong goes wrong. Has anybody else ever been stuck in the middle with me? What's that old song, I'm stuck in the middle with you? Remember that song? Has anybody else lived a life where you feel like there's such goodness and such grandeur and greatness that awaits you, and we're not looking for it in the, in the sweet by and by or some glad morning. This was some glad morning when I got up. We want to experience it now, and yet every time and with everything we got, we're rolling to the other side, and we're stuck here in the middle. It's not just me. Good. The winds of life often are contrary, not just contrary to me, but contrary to the words of the one that sent me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God will give you a word or that God will give you a promise or give you a mandate or tell you, I want you to do this? And it almost, it, you can almost guarantee that God is the one that said it if all, if, if all of a sudden everything starts going wrong. Have you ever just looked up and said, man, what in the world? If I were one of the disciples in this boat, I'd have been like, he told us, this is Jesus. He knew what was going to happen. He sent us out here. He sent us out here. And if we have the wrong perspective or the wrong concept of God, we're gonna, wait a minute, he sent us in the storm on purpose. He knew this storm was coming. Why would he put us out here? Our lives are in danger. The winds were contrary. That is the word enantios, and it means opposite or antagonistic. Here are some synonyms of the word antagonistic. The winds were against them. The winds were contrary. The winds were ad adversarial. The winds were hostile. The winds were unsympathetic or the winds were unfriendly. Have you lived in an area of your life in the middle where it seems like everything that could go wrong did? This isn't hard. This isn't heavy. This isn't deep. But this is something that we need to hear because all of us, I believe, at least in 2020, are somewhere in the middle of not like what it was and not like what it's quite going to be. We're stuck here. We don't really know what it's going to look like. And look, at church, look around you at church. This doesn't look anything like church looked 10 months ago, and hopefully nothing like the church looks 10 months from now. We're, we're right here in the middle. 
Politically, we're stuck in the middle. We still don't know who's going to be the president. It, it, no, nobody really knows. There is not a president-elect because news, news uh, organizations, they don't get to say who's going to be president-elect. That has to come when the electors, this is actually your constitution, on December 9th go and vote for who should be the president. It might be Biden. It might be Trump. Who in the world knows? We're stuck in the middle of that. We're stuck in the middle of this stupid pandemic that, that essentially says if you get it or if you get exposed to it or if you're around anybody that's been exposed to it or if you're around the sixth cousin and that cat and the dog's neighbor and the cousin that also, you need to get in your house for 14 days. And you don't have Thanksgiving with your family no matter what you do. Just shut yourselves off. Now, we don't have to live by these rules because we're politicians. You guys have to live by our rules. We're stuck in the middle of this nonsense, and we're stuck in the middle of this geopolitical crisis, and we're stuck in the middle of a pandemic, or maybe even more personally, we're stuck in the middle of a place where God told me to go here, and I'm on my way, and everything that could go wrong is go wrong. All hell is breaking loose against me. Lord, are you still with me? And he's not in the boat with you, but he's coming. I love it. I love it in Mark. It says, while they're in the middle of that, and this, is, this will give you hope, while they're in the middle of it and while they're terrified for their lives, they didn't see him, but he saw them. He's there, they're here, and he sees them. And not only did he see them, the Bible says he went to them. Still good on time. Good. So the fishermen rode, rode the whole night with all their strength, only to cover a distance, as the Bible says, of 25 to 30 furlongs in John, John uh, chapter 6, verse 19. One furlong is 185 meters. 30 furlongs is about three and three-quarters miles. We mentioned that the, mile, the, the lake was eight miles long, which means on the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch of the night, in the middle of the night, not quite daybreak and not quite midnight. It's not quite yesterday and not quite tomorrow. Also, the time that they were in is right there in the middle. They were in the middle of the lake and not where you were, not where you're going. You've come too far to turn back, but the end is not in sight. Anybody? In the middle, it's the place where frustration and disappointment meet. In the middle where you long to reach the end, but you would settle for the beginning because you're exhausted and tired and weary from dealing with these ungodly contrary winds and circumstances. But let me tell you, the middle, listen to me, is the crucible. It's the place where faith is formed. It's the place where desperation meets desire. And it was in the middle that the disciples facing east and rowing west... Uh, at about 4 o'clock in the morning with the storm still howling and the waves lashing against the boat and because of the spray of the waves it's very misty and you can't see much and you can't see clearly you can't even hear much and then all of a sudden out of nowhere they see something moving on the water they saw a figure walking towards them and that was about the last straw for them. They did not take comfort when they saw that because they thought this is a spirit or a ghost. you got to remember, these were very superstitious people. They didn't know everything like we think we do scientifically now. They were very superstitious. They were completely and utterly aware of the spirit realm. And they see this thing and they don't recognize it. And now not only have they been afraid because of the storm, now they're afraid because this ghost is coming towards us. And they were exhausted and struggling for their lives. And on top of this, now they're face to face with something that did not look too natural. They were frightened, saying, this is a ghost. And verse 26 says, they cried out for fear. In their mind, it was a spirit or ghost because a human being can't walk on water. 
If you read Revelation chapter 13, 1, the popular belief of the time was that the sea is the home of evil spirits. So they probably thought some evil spirit had arisen out of the sea. Not only did Jesus send me out here, not only is this storm beating me to death, not only are these stupid winds in my way and won't let me get where I'm supposed to go, now this monster comes up out of the sea. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Am I, I mean, I feel like they could say the same thing in 2020. In the middle of confusion, in the middle of fear, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of frustration, utter frustration, utter chaos. I mean, this is where I'm living right now. Utter frustration, utter chaos. Can I be completely vulnerable with you? I don't know exactly where we're gonna get, where we're gonna, what it's gonna look like when we get there, but I ain't gonna stop rowing. I ain't gonna stop rowing. I don't know what it's going to look like, and I can guarantee you I ain't going to start rowing backwards. I'm going to get to where I'm going, and it might take me longer than it should have taken me. And every wind might blow against me, and believe me, they are. And every enemy might come against me, and believe me, they are. And every friend might turn against you, and believe me, some will. But I'm going to keep going because I know that Jesus said, I'm going to meet you on the other side. They thought a ghost had come to do them harm, and their death was at hand, and so they cried out in fear until a reassuring voice came. Take courage. What? In the middle of pandemic, in the middle of certain death, in the middle of the scariest moment of my life, when I think this thing is going to arise and take my life, I hear a familiar sound. I hear a voice that somehow is able to wrap around me and comfort me in the middle of my fear and in the middle of my uncertainty, in the middle of my brokenness. I can't see it and I don't recognize it, but I know that voice and it hugs me and says, don't be afraid. It's the same voice that spoke to Joshua and said, Joshua, be of a good courage. Multiple times he said, Joshua, be not afraid, but be, go read Joshua chapter 1. When Joshua is going to take the place of Moses and carry the children of Israel into the promise that God has given them. The night that Tony Button passed my father. I sat in the floor with my mother on the couch and my sister on the chair. About 2 or 3 in the morning after they had willed his body off. We had prayed and cried and were still stunned and shocked. And I sat up in the floor. I said, Mom, I need to tell you something. I know this is going to sound completely and utterly horrible, but I know what the Lord spoke to me. Do you remember this? And I sat up and I said, the Lord just spoke and said, Moses, my servant, is dead. So rise up now, you and all this people, and go into the land that I've promised you. I'm not to be compared with Joshua of the Old Testament. However... However, it is always the responsibility of the next generation to grab the torch and carry it further. And not only that, I told you years ago, when I asked Bishop Johnson, Charles Johnson, I was in India in 2000, I'm sorry, in 1998. I want to sit down for a minute and share a little bit of my heart. I, I'm, I'm a little ahead of where I thought I would be, which is really good. I still got about five pages. True, I did. 22 minutes, I can make it happen. And, and I said to, as a barely 20, I turned 20 on November 30th. And in February, I think it was the 18th or 17th or something like that, we flew out to India. And after being there several weeks, I said, what am I doing here, essentially? All of the big crowd had gone. We had a group from Australia that had come. I told you that they 
we, we witnessed a, a woman that got run over by a triple-decker bus and it split her body in half. She bled to death on the road and we got out to go help her and they wouldn't let us. And they said, no, 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 you'll desecrate her body. Don't touch it. This is what the gods wanted. And I thought, well, this ain't what my God wants. But I wasn't quite as bold as I'm bold as two lines now if I have to be. And uh, so some of the Australian, especially the women, they, they just couldn't take anymore. They got an early flight home and so... Ultimately, it winds up being me and this 60 plus, 65, 66, 67, Rich's age, uh, year old prophet that's a man of God that had traveled. Uh, the nations had preached him like 169 or 129 countries of the earth, had seen the dead raised and all this stuff. And here I am, just this little green, you know, boy and this, this other man across from me with his, you know, his hoary beard blowing in the wind like he was Moses. And he says, uh, did you know for years that I thought the most holy thing that we could do and the ultimate call of God would be to go in, as it were, to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God. We heard Kelly Varna preach for years and years about uh, the tabernacle of Moses. It had an outer court and then an inner court and then a holy place, a holy of holies. And the outer court was an altar where a sacrifice was made. And the inner court was, uh, was a table of showbread and a candlestick, also a laver out here. But in the holy of holies was this piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant, which was the mercy seat. By the way, in case you were wondering where God rules from, He does not rule from a throne of judgment. He rules from a throne of mercy. That is His throne of judgment. Anyways, uh, if you need to go back there, the priest would take a sacrifice real quick and he would offer it to the Lord. And if the, the offering from the priest was acceptable to God, the blood offering on the altar, then the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God would come down and sit in the middle of that place as a sign, I accept your offering. And so we, and so we, when we talk about third realm or third room of the Holy of Holies, we talk about the presence of God. And he said, I used to believe, in fact, I preached for many years that getting into that place beyond the veil was the penultimate experience in Christianity. He said, I don't think that anymore. And I thought, whoa, where are we going with this? You know? And he said, this is what I see is once having been there, having tasted of the world to come, having seen the glory of God, having witnessed the, 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 the life, the breath of God himself, it's coming out from that place because it takes courage to come back out when you've been in there and grabbing someone else and bringing them in there with you to experience it. That's what Joshua's job was, is to make sure that the children that were followed Moses all those years walked into their promise, walked into their inheritance, Hello? Help them mature enough so they could enjoy the inheritance because a son differs nothing than a slave as long as he's, as long as he's immature. But the moment he becomes, mature, he becomes mature, he becomes the inheritor of all things. Take courage, Jesus says to these disciples in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of this contrary wind. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It's me. Jesus, the Lord Jesus gave assurance of his presence to the disciples and yet they were not quite sure yet that he was even him. Notice how Peter responded. I love this. I mean, they recognized the voice. They're like, man, that sounds like him and that's comforting. But Peter says, I tell you what, I'm going just to be sure, just to be doubly sure. Lord, if it's really you, <laughs> has the Lord ever spoken something to you before? And you're like, okay, God, if you really said that, if you really said that, when I walk out, let there be like $300 laying in my driveway. <laughs> you know? Or, Lord, you told me to go to Walmart. When I pull in, I just speak in tongues and pray that there's going to be a front row parking spot. 
Lord, if it's really, have you ever done it? Honestly, that's a little, that's a little funny. But have you ever said, Lord, if you're really the one speaking this, I'm going to have to have a sign. I'm going to have to know. You're going to have to prove this to me because now what's happened is all of my energy and all of my inner resource has been expended and spent on being terrified of this stupid storm that I didn't expect to come, that you knew was coming, but that's contrary. You're going to have to do something else. So Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, if it's really, why was he still uncertain? Because he was not able to see the face of Jesus. He recognized the voice, but he couldn't see who it was. Sometimes we don't see him clearly, but he can always be identified by his voice. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Call me out there where you are. This was not necessarily a test of Peter's faith. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to me because we read it having known the whole story. Peter wasn't like, I tell you what, full of faith Peter here. I, I, if Jesus can do it, I can do it too. No, no, no. That's not at all what this was. Essentially what Peter was saying was in the middle of this sea and in the middle of this storm, I'd rather die trying to get to him than stay in this boat and perish. Lord, if it's really you, I'm done with this storm and I'm done with this contrary sea and I'm done with these winds and I'm done with this fear and I'm done with this turmoil and I'm done with rowing and trying to go and rowing and trying to go. So if it's actually you, you'd call me and I'll get out of my safety net. I'll get out of my box of comfort. Call me, bid me to come to you. This wasn't a test of Peter's faith. This was Peter at the ultimate point of desperation saying, I'd rather die than stay in here without you. If it costs me my life, I'm it's the same desperation that a woman who had bled to death, almost to death for 12 years, said, Jesus ain't coming to me, but if it costs me everything, I'm going to get to the hem of his robe. Because if I can get to the hem of his garment, Jesus wasn't on his way to that woman's house. He would not go there. She was not punched into his GPS, but she wasn't waiting on Jesus to make a move. Would to God the church in 2020 would stop waiting for God to come to them and say, I'm going to come to you. And Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, if it's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus literally said these words, have at it. That is the translation, not just come, not just come to me. He literally said, have at it. I think that the heart of the father was overjoyed and it flowed through the son. He said, whoa, he's seeing this, he's seeing this glimpse into what's about to happen because ultimately what is going to happen is the sons and daughters of God will do these works and greater. And Peter's already said, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus said, have at it, boy. Not a test of Peter's faith. He didn't have the plan to be recognized as a water walker like Jesus. And he knew it's scary to get out of the boat. It's unsafe and it's abnormal. But Jesus is on the water. And the Bible says Jesus would have passed them by. Go read it. Go read it in John. It says, and Jesus would have passed them by, and Peter had decided right there in the middle of the storm, right there in the middle of the sea, right there in the middle of fear, that he was not about to let Jesus pass him by. If you're going by way of walking on the water, then I'm coming with you. I would rather risk death than to let you pass by and leave me. Sometimes we've got to come to that place, the place where we engage our faith, 
however motivated by desperation it might be, and do the thing that we cannot do if that's what's required to get to him. So when he said, Lord, bid me come, Jesus simply responded, come. Come on. And as Peter does, now he's in the middle again. This is the... This is the spiritual dynamic of the walk of faith as we live constantly in the middle. And just as soon as we graduate from the middle of this situation, now we find ourselves in the middle of another situation, maybe more perilous than the previous. I'm not one of those preachers that's going to tell you because I'm not a liar and I'm not here to preach you to get you to put money in the bucket. Obviously, if that was the case, I'm not doing a good job. That's not my job. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not going to tell you the walk of faith is going to be rosy and everything that you do is going to be blessed and you're just going to float through life. Not if you're going to be a world changer. Not if you're going to be a, a generational, transformational son and daughter of God like you were called to be. No, no, no. It's going to be in the middle of this. And once you get through this one, now you're going to be in the because the crucible of your life, the crucible of the growth of your faith is going to be living in the middle. We live our whole lives in the middle of eternity past and eternity future, as it were. It's a little bit of a, of a misnomer because there's really no such thing as eternity past and eternity future. We think of eternity linearly, as in as far back as we can see and as far forward. But the reality is eternity is more like a circle with no beginning or no end. And we live on this line. In fact, time is just a landing spot for the eternal things to manifest in this realm. You better write that down. You'll get that someday. Have at it. Come on. The, weaves, the waves are under his feet and his eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus. And as long as they're on him, Peter was able to walk on water to do what he could not do, to do the impossible. But then Peter's focus changed again in the middle. It was no longer about getting to Jesus, but it was more about the size of the impossibility. I know that I'm talking to some people right now that are in the middle of circumstances that seem to be insurmountable. It may only be one or two of you, and that's okay with me. That's all right with me. Circumstances, Kelly, that seem to be insurmountable. Odds that no one would take, that no one would place a bet against because it's not going to happen. And that's, that is our life as walkers and livers and movers and shakers of faith. That's where we'll be. In the middle. Peter's focus changes from Jesus to the insurmountable size of his circumstance. And what happens when he does? He starts to sink. This man who had watched Jesus... Feed 70,000 buttons with some fishes and loaves. This man who had literally just walked on water. I want to talk to some of you that are not novices in the faith. I want to talk to some of you that has laid your hands on somebody and watched them recover. I want to talk to somebody that has shut yourself away in your closet and prayed and didn't come out until God moved and you knew that he moved and whatever circumstance you're in the middle of changed because I'm going to talk to somebody who's already walked. Peter was not this novice. Peter had literally just walked on water. Sometimes you walk in this life of faith and you realize, oh my God, this is a bigger thing than I had 
ever faced before. And Peter's on the middle of water and he begins to sink. He takes his focus off of Jesus. This isn't deep, and yet it can be deeply impactful if we apply this right like If my eyes are focused on Jesus, I can do the impossible. And if, if I can see the invisible, then I can do the impossible. But if I stop looking at that, which is the calling of God to come, and I look on the insurmountable size of my storm, begin to sink. And even there, Peter had enough sense, as Tony Button would say, to cry out, Lord, save me! Some people in here this morning, Eli, hit that key real quick. You've watched God move in your life. You've seen him move mountains. You've seen him, you've seen him cast demons out of the way. And you've seen him make a, 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 a highway out of a sea. And you've watched him feed you when there was no food. I remember coming home growing up when we were little kids. I don't know how many times it happened. There nothing to eat in the house. Just, be, you know, mom and dad were so busy doing ministry stuff. And we'd come home with grocery bags full of groceries. But nobody even knew what happened. I've, I've seen the miraculous. I've watched a man that had distorted pupils in his eyes. And I, and I spoke over him and prayed and had no clue what I was doing except throwing myself at the mercy of the good one, of, of the good shepherd Jesus and watch his eyes open and I've spoken to a man who had laid dead for 42 minutes or whatever and spoken to him and prayed over him and God allowed him to live 15 more years. I've seen these things and yet there are times in my walk of faith if I'm not completely focused on him that I feel like I'm starting to sink again. This storm is still crazy. The storm was still going by the way. When Jesus appeared the storm didn't go away. Sometimes we seem to think if God will just get in my storm with me, the storm will go away. No, no, no. The storm don't go away till Jesus gets in the boat with you. But on the water, the storm, but Jesus is unmoved by the storm. Completely and utterly. I love the song that says the winds and the waves still know the voice of him that speaks. When God was creating the oceans and the seas, he would say to the, to the waves, you can come this far, proud waves, and no further. He set, the, he set the, the circle of the earth. You can read all this in Job. You probably should read it. It's incredible. It's incredible to see the things that God did in the beginning. But they, they still recognize his voice, and yet Peter begins to sink. Lord, save me! And the Bible says, and Jesus reached down with his hand and pulled Peter up, and they walked back into the boat and the moment they got into the boat the storm stopped the wind stopped and there's one 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 scripture I think it's the one in Mark that says and immediately they were at the coast in Genesaret in the middle all of us here in some place in our life in some circumstances some we're in the middle and we think, we think that God is only waiting for us at the end. Or that God was the one in the beginning. And the truth of it is, we're not alone even in the middle. Because even in the middle, He sees us. And He not only sees us, but He comes to us. And I think teasingly, I truly believe this, because I know the, na- the nature of God is never to hide things from us. He hides things for us. Jesus, the Bible, I mean, it's, very, it's, it's explicitly clear. God is searching for what? Anybody know? Those who worship Him in spirit and truth. God's playing hide and seek, and you're it. It's true. God's playing a game of hide and seek, and you're it. For whoever will seek Him with their whole heart will find Him. 
when you diligently seek after me, you'll find me. The whole point of it is, is to learn to trust his voice and hear the still small voice that is still still and small, but it's louder than the boisterous waves. The point of it is to say, I'd rather have him and I'll go after him if it kills me than to stay in this boat in my comfort zone. He sees you in the middle. Joshua, with all the stuff that you're having to go through, that you have gone through, and to be completely honest, that you still will go through, God's with you in the middle. We preach this, 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 this Western gospel that says Jesus is going to be waiting for us one day in the by and by. And so let's live real good, do real good, and one day we'll get to see him. What stupid hogwash garbage trash is that? It's exactly what I just said. Stupid garbage hogwash trash. In fact, I'm pretty sure it says that in the Bible somewhere. I haven't found it yet, but I think it's there. We've put off every good thing that God has for us to some glad morning. Remember the song? Some glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away. To a land on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I like celebrating them. I'm like, that's dumb. Jesus didn't say, I came to give you a mansion when you die. Here's what he said. Jesus, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And by the way, just in case you missed it, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare you a place. He went to prepare you. You're the place. You're the mansion. You're the apartment. You're the place he was preparing for his own spirit to dwell in. So that instead of having to get to him, he got to you. You don't have, oh my God, I could preach that. It was never about getting to heaven. It was always about getting heaven. In fact, there's no such gospel of Jesus that ever preached about dying and going to heaven. Did you know that? It was always about getting heaven to you. He said, boys, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But right now, we're in the middle of, of birth and death. We're in the middle of what was and what could be. And we're not alone in the middle. That's the whole point of all of this dissertation this morning. This, this jumbled mess of a message that I'm preaching is to say, in the middle, He sees us. He's with us here in the middle. He's with you in the struggle. He's in the comfort and the pain. He's in the healing and the brokenness. He's in all of it. begging for rescue and the whole point of the if Peter had not walked on the water if they had not been in the middle of this storm if all these things had happened and this one day had not happened none of us would be talking about it today which is to say there are things that God is doing through you and in your life right now that will be talked about for generations to come if you'll submit to God's plan for you in the middle what if the things that happened to you didn't happen to you, but they happened for you? What if the contrary winds were winds that came out of the mouth of God? Who commands the winds? No, no, no. Honestly, I'd like for you to answer me. Who commands the winds? You mean that God, I don't know anybody else that commands the winds. I tell you what, you go out there and you speak, and when you say wind come and a wind comes, I'll believe you. He commands the winds. I mean, it must have been a boisterous storm. You have, I thought about this the first time I saw it years ago. A bo to make a professional fisherman that lived on these waters afraid, 
It wasn't what they knew about Jesus that saved them. It was their desperation and their cry. They didn't know that he was even him. In fact, they thought it was a monster that was about to kill them. You, what am I saying? You don't have to have it figured out theologically for God to be with you in the middle. He was with you in the middle before you had a clue what was going on. When all hell was breaking loose and you thought he was nowhere in sight, he's been there the whole time. You just didn't recognize him because he's there in a form that you don't know. But he sees you. And he's there with you. Let's all stand. I'm finished. See? Yeah, oh my God, it's, on, it's not even quite 12 o'clock. Somebody say, Shandai. That was a joke, but that was good. You did it. <laughs> Somebody say, E-D-D-I-E. <clears throat> I got a bunch of them. Come tie my tie. <laughs> Remember the old story? You tie your own tie. I'm trying to get the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no, it's blessing. It's blessing. It's blessing. My dad had a trick back in the old days when people came to the church and said something that was completely and utterly off course. He would say the words bless him as code to disregard what was just said. It's funny. Every time he said bless him, we were like, ah. God's with you in the middle. And he probably has you in the middle to build your faith. This same Peter at the end of his life, Jesus tells him later on, he says, uh, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go and kind of did what you want to do. But when you're old, you'll be led to a place where you don't want to go. Peter was so moved by the life of Jesus that the Bible says that he would walk down the road and his shadow falling on lame people would cause them to be healed. In the end of his life, Peter, Peter would, be, uh, would be condemned to death by crucifixion. And, and, and history says, not biblically, but history says, Peter said, do me a favor. Whatever you do, don't you hang me up on a cross like Jesus because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner. Hang me upside down. Put me upside down. Don't you dare compare. This, this same Peter who, who was foul-mouthed and vulgar, that gives a lot of us in here hope, who was foul-mouthed and vulgar, Jesus didn't care about that. He loved that Peter was firm in his belief and he wasn't going to be swayed. And, and, and this was the same Peter, by the way, that Jesus looked at him one day and says, and Peter says, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I love you. You're my best friend, man. We've hung out every day for three and a half years. I've seen all the miracles and stuff. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times knowing me. And Peter did. And the rooster crows. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. The Bible says almost to the point of death and probably contemplated suicide. But he didn't commit suicide. And when Jesus rises from the dead, it would be this same Peter that, that, that these women would, would come to see Jesus. And Jesus would say, as the resurrected Jesus, as the firstborn from among the dead, he would say, go do me a favor. Whatever you do, leave this place and go tell my disciples and Peter. Go tell, go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm risen like I said I would be and I'm going to have supper with them. I'll be there short way. Do we leave the door open? Jesus said, don't worry about leaving the door open. I'm the door. I just come and go as I please. It would be this same Peter that Jesus would look at and say, who do you say that I am? Remember that I told you last week the disciples were like, why? They're trying to impress Jesus. Some say, you're good as Elijah. I mean, that's a prophet. Now, that is a prophet. You're like him. And Jesus essentially rolled his eyes and said, oh, who do you say that I am? And they're like, no, no, no. I got one, Isaiah. You're like Moses. 
You're like, and Jesus said, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, who do you, like, like my little soccer players, did, did you not hear me the 17th time I said it? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I say, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I'll call you, not, not, just, not, not just Simon, but I'll call you Peter, keep, uh, uh, the little pebble. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Upon what rock? Upon the, the foundational understanding that we hear what the Father says about the Son. That's how I'll build my church. The ability to hear directly. That was the first time in the New Testament that anybody except John, that I'm aware of, and John was an Old Testament prophet, heard the voice of God directly when it didn't come through Jesus. Peter's in the middle of a storm now. Some of us live our lives right there in the middle. God's here with us. He's there for you. Some of you are utterly terrified in fact, I know a lot of you are. There are a lot that aren't here this morning because they're utterly terrified. There are some people that are not here because they're sick. And God, we bless them and send them the, the healing of God. No one's condemned for not coming. I'm not, don't, don't mistake my words from my spirit. So here's what we say. Lord, we're in the middle of this. And it seems like all hell has come against us. It seems like the winds of life are contrary. It seems like situations or circumstances have blown against us in such a capacity that would never reach what we thought was the destination. In reality, the destination was not where we were going, but the realization that you're here with us on the journey. But there are some of us in here, Lord, that are, would rather risk our lives to find you and be with you than to stay in our comfortable little place. So we hear you say, come. I don't do this often, but this morning, if you feel an urge, I'd like, if you want to come up to the front and be prayed with and be prayed for and be counted up front, come on up to the front and I'll pray with you. We thank you that you're with us in the middle. We thank you that you were, the reality is you were with us in the beginning. You're with us in the middle. And when we arrive at our destination, you're going to be there with us as well. We believe we hear your voice. We know that you told us to go to the other side. We've heard your prophetic voice. We've heard your word. We've heard your promise. But Lord, life is just beating us up. disappointment and circumstance and situation and unforeseen circumstance has come against us but you knew that it was coming so Lord in this moment we invite you into the boat with us to bring us to the other side to your desired end for us and Lord should we begin to sink losing our focus on you give us the courage to cry out Lord save us Lord save us save us from ourselves and save us from our fear and save us from this storm that is 
surrounded us in these antagonistic winds of life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for coming out today.